0: This is Jared Haggett and John Fontaine, and you are listening to the Three-Legged Stool Podcast, a place to learn how great experiences are built through the lens of software development, product management, and user experience design. On this episode, we'll explore how the Kroger Design System, an enterprise-wide design and development library, got its start, and how it grew from a one-person side of desk project to a 30-member team supporting over 500 employees at the Kroger organization. Today's episode is with Michael Gardner, Gerard Fulham, Andy Gustafson, and John Fontaine. Michael Gardner is a senior experience designer at 8451. Gerald Fulham is a technical lead at Kroger Digital. Andy Gustafson is a product manager at Kroger Digital. John Fontaine is a user experience designer at Kroger Digital. You can find Mike, Gerald, Andy, and John on LinkedIn. All right, let's get started. So guys, today we're gonna talk about the Kroger design system. But before that, let's start with introductions from you. Tell us a little bit more about what you do at Kroger.
1: I can hop right in. Uh, So as a user experience designer, um, I do a lot of user research and component development, Um, specifically on the Kroger design system. I've been a part of that team for two plus years, and we have a really excellent team behind us. Um, So I just make sure that all of the design assets for the team are created um, and making sure that I steer the team in the right direction um, as we develop new components.
2: Great. I can chime in. Uh, it's Mike Gardner. I'm a senior UX designer over 8451, but prior to that, I spent about four years at Kroger helping to build out the UX team within Kroger Digital um, from a team of like three when I first started up to, I think, 40 plus by the time that I left in uh, 2018. And uh, throughout my time over at Kroger, I worked on pretty much everything digital that was customer facing from uh, the mobile app to the website. Uh, And it was a lot of UI design. Uh, There was research that happened as well. Uh, But the majority of my work uh, was around UI design and and kind of strategy for how we move that product forward and those products forward. And now at 8451, I'm doing some similar work, more heavy into the research side. So... Um, kind of more of a UX generalist role, but uh, helping to build out internal products uh, and external products over uh, at at eighty four fifty one. Uh,
3: this is Andy Gustafson. I'm the product manager for the Kroger Design System team. Uh, I focus a lot on the process, so we we set quarterly goals. We try to stay uh, on on task for each of those and it's my job to, to help steer us, make sure that we are focused on that. There's so many things that we want to do and it's so easy to jump at the first thing that glitters, but staying on task is really where we start delivering value. So we focus on uh, what is gonna bring value to the business and what's gonna bring value to our stakeholders. And then we, it's, it's kind of my job to, to make sure that we stay accountable to that.
4: Hi, uh, Gerald Fulham here. I'm the tech lead for the Kroger Design System team, and it has been a dream come true. Uh, I have always wanted to work on a design system as a developer. My background, my college degree is in visual communications and graphic design, and uh, I made a career uh, switch to become a developer uh, late in my career and was always hoping to do something where I got to work with designers and, that was design related. Uh, So my job on the team is to um, set technical direction, help resolve technical disputes, do a lot of architecture work, work closely with product management and other stakeholders uh, to set technical direction. Uh, And then we rely on our very large team of developers to get all that work done. Um, And had lots of exciting uh, conversations with Mike Gardner uh, before KDS was born. Uh, And I just remember him talking about his aspirations for growing the predecessor uh, to the Kroger Design System, uh, which was a side of desk project. And I was like, man, I've gotta be a part of that. Uh, and and it happened, so I'm happy to be here.
0: Awesome, well, yeah, I think that's a great segue into kind of the, the next topic that we wanna cover, which is really the beginning. Um, so John, uh, Mike, Gerald, how did this all get started? Yeah, I can jump in. Um,
2: so, like I mentioned earlier, our our team of UX designers was very small when I first started there, and I actually started as a contractor. And you know, for the first probably three, three maybe four years, while I was there, I mean, it it felt like UX was always kind of outnumbered in terms of the scale that we were that we were growing within Kroger, and and it felt like UX was always trying to kind of keep up with the demand, right? So we were trying to build a an enterprise solution and something that was, you know, had 25 million customers. And it was just like, crazy that where there were only like three to 10 people taking on this work. And we had, I mean, hundreds of developers. And so, um, you know, with that kind of um, lack of freedom and bandwidth, like we we're super, super strapped. So we, we had to figure out a way to make things faster. We had to streamline the way that we worked. And so uh, we started noticing the more designers that we brought on, the more inconsistencies that we started having, right? Every designer has their own basic um, way that they design. Yeah, the, the web and, and mobile, they all have their components, uh, but there's the little visual flares that that get put on on everything. And so we originally came up with, uh, a component library that we called Quick. And it was basically me and, uh, you know, one or two other developers. Uh, I think it was Jared. That was uh, me and him initially started that. And it was one of those things. It was just side of desk. And we were we tried to build out this component library. And uh, it got to a point where, you know, we had people that were just, tired of seeing the inconsistencies in the experience. And we had a following of a ton of UX designers, but also a ton of UI developers that were actually passionate about that problem too. And they had the passion for the design side of things and they wanted to deliver a great customer experience. And so it basically, I think we created a guild around just UI and so within that guild was really where a lot of the initial uh, kind of strappings of a design system were kind of discussed, right? And it, it, And it's interesting because when you're in the moment, you're like, oh, I can't do something like this. I can't start something like this. But really all it is is it's just identifying a problem within whatever organization that you work in or any product that you work on, and finding basically people that have those same, they see those same problems, right? And so it's finding those people and then working together to start kind of to building things out. So that's that's really where it started was, uh, I was just tired of seeing the inconsistencies between different features and, and our different products. And I wanted to do something about it because I knew that in order for us to win in the market, we just had to bring that next level. Of, of design polish and product polish
4: yeah i remember when quick started and for those uh listening quick spelled with a k k-u-i-c yeah. over <laughs> ui components um and the the developer who uh, paired with mike is a uh, jared fox he's an engineering manager now at kroger but he's uh not jared haggett host um they uh they started this thing and i was i was floored when i saw it i thought this is this is the way it's gotta be. I was an early contributor to that project and I loved seeing it grow. Um, and it, it sort of changed hands from team to team because it was completely side of desk. And so over a couple of years of, it got a lot of adoption, but it never had direction, so to speak, no unified direction, no product management, no engineering management. It floated uh, based on who had capacity and desire. Uh, and I, I remember having a lot of desire, but I had moved up uh, at Kroger to being a tech lead of a team and couldn't contribute as frequently as I had liked to to that project. And it sort of waned eventually. It just um, it was petering out and sort of <coughs> uh, plateauing. Bugs were piling up. Uh, no new features were getting added, and it was becoming a, a problematic, problematic in my opinion. But uh, we we swooped in to save the day with new ideas.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's such a great, great call out is
0: the
2: the passion for it was there, right? The desire for something was there, but we just didn't have uh, a group of people to, to kind of like put a stake in the ground and, and fight for it. And because it was side of desk. That was the hardest part is finding the time and energy to work on and, and build out kind of what it actually needed to be. And I don't think that even started it really until like 2017. That's probably when it, it really started maybe late 2016 is when it really started getting some traction. We had identified a problem and then we kind of built that cohort and we built a group of people and it wasn't really until. Quick was kind of teetering on the edge and had kind of lost interest. And then at the same time, design systems were kind of becoming popular, at least in the design world. And so we were trying to define a way for how we could build something that lasted. And that ultimately was kind of like a godsend from the industry, right? And so we had some examples of how people were trying to solve this stuff. And so we got people together and we, we basically tried to start building our case. So we identified how we could possibly fix what was quick and how it could morph into an actual design system. So we went out and did a bunch of research, um, with, uh, just whatever, ever we had. So we are still doing project work. We are still delivering Uh, designs and working with teams, but we just had to go out and do the research. And I know John was very interested in this stuff. You've always been super passionate about design and kind of core principles and things like that. And um, I don't even know if that UI guild was there when when you started, I don't think it was. It was kind of like the guilds kind of came up and kind of went down in popularity based on the people that attended. Um, but I knew John was kind of one of those people that was just super passionate about design Uh, and he was nitpicky about things which is exactly what you need to be when you design a system and you need to get into the details Um, so just like Andy was talking about earlier um, like this is like for me it was literally just me and I was like trying to scrounge together any it was really a lot of product work right there's a lot of product management work of like defining business value and understanding the customer value and i just had i had never done this stuff before and honestly um we had uh sriram was interested he kind of had heard the rumblings that this design system was was getting started uh, or at least the idea of it was there, and there were a few people, uh, including Gerald and John and myself. And we didn't even have a product person at that time. And he brought in—I uh, think it was—is was it Doug? Um, I think it was Doug McEwen. I think that was his name.
3: Yeah. That's
2: right. uh, and so Shriram had a guy that was out in in Denver doing some some contract work, and he had some experience in this before. And he actually came in and met with me and uh a few others and and really kind of helped us spearhead this initiative which was great i mean it was from a learning perspective it was really awesome to to kind of get someone that had experience to to basically teach me what are the right steps to do so he really helped me build out kind of like our core business case uh and and customer experience case and um it allowed me to get buy-in with Drew, our manager uh, of UX at the time. And so it was it was so super crucial when you think about getting anything started in any organization, like getting other people's buy-in that are either at your level, but then like going to the next level. So it's like slowly working your way up to the people that will ultimately fund whatever you're going to do. So um, after I had kind of my co-workers buy-in, And then I had some some guidance with Doug, Um, you know, Drew was basically just, I had to present my idea to him and and he was all in. And then you just like work your way up the next way up. And so then we went up to kind of our VPs um, within digital and we're basically, we gave a presentation about that tied in that business value and the customer value and understanding like we basically just showed them like we have... 28 different button styles within within this application Uh, and I think that was even just the website that wasn't even the mobile app at that time so like it was funny because you're like so geared up to give this big presentation and I I'll never forget it Jody was like so when do we begin like how do we fix this let's go like it was just like she just didn't want this to be an issue anymore because there's so many other bigger problems to solve when it comes to delivering a great experience. So it's it's funny, you, you put, put all this pressure on uh, giving like a big presentation and then it's like you get part of the way through it and they're like, all right, this is this is cool, let's do this thing. And you're like, but I have more, I have so much more. So, um, and then after, after, you know, we got buy-in uh, it was really going back for me and identifying who were the key players that I wanted to be a part of this team. And uh, obviously, Gerald was one of the big ones. Jared was initially too, uh, and, and John. And that process of actually like identifying people and then working with Drew to come up with a plan of how we can get those key individuals that are going to bring us the most success in terms of our ability to deliver on basically what we're now held accountable for, uh, getting them off their current projects where they're already kicking butt and no one wants them to leave projects that are delivering real customer value. um, That was probably the hardest part. Like they were, I feel like initially it was just like, all right, go. And it was just like, still me. And I was like, oh, God, this is not going to go well. Uh, <laughs> and so it, it really took a lot more work to um, to work with Drew and, and other peers, with Jared and and Gerald and John, to figure out who were the other people. So it's like you find one other person and then you two build out. And then we just I think by the time we had the official team, it was like 20 or 18 or something like that. Gerald, John, does that sound right? Yeah.
4: Yeah, that's right. It was 18 to 20. I don't know if we were counting designers in that number, but it was uh Jared had found a team that had recently lost their project. So there was there was this group of wandering developers. Uh, and, and so that they were scooped up and then uh, myself and a couple others were Um, transitioned away from our projects. I I think uh, from the time I indicated I wanted to be a part of it to the time I got to actually be on the team was close to three months. So I had to wrap a lot of stuff up uh, before I could join. And uh, for those listening, by the way, uh, you'd mentioned a couple of names and I think it's helpful to say who they were. So Sriram Samu is our Vice President of Customer Technology, Jody Kalmbach, uh, Vice President Product Experience. And I think you had uh, said Drew, that would be Drew Whiting, I think, right? So senior uh, product or user experience uh, sort of manager. Um, so yeah, uh, it was it was interesting how it all came together. And so there was this uh, influx of people in um, on a new project that we couldn't, uh, we didn't know how to measure properly. Not everyone on the team uh, had the same level of passion or understanding about design systems as well, which was, A challenge. And so there was uh, education that needed to happen for everyone and level setting. And then the business wanted to see value right away, which was, which proposed sort of uh, unique um, scenarios, I think, as we worked through the maturing process.
0: Yeah. Um, So I want to dig into that presentation. What were some of the elements that you guys presented to leadership?
2: Sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with the initial start of quick, we had an idea of kind of some of the basic components that we had already found inconsistencies in, right? So I think that was really my main, my main um, point of selling was identifying the problems, right? And so we we did an audit of the UI really, and that's like one of the biggest things that you got to do to figure out where your gaps are and where your redundancy are, redundancies are and you know the buttons was was clearly the the biggest glaring issue yeah we had typography issues all over the place but like button that's your that's like your primary function within an e-marketplace so if if your buttons aren't accurate and there's no primary there's no secondary and they differ across the entire experience, your chances of converting uh, a customer are, are going to tank. And so we, we really use the button as the core of setting up kind of that story that the inconsistencies that we have are in the, basically the most important component of an e-marketplace. And so, we basically built out the story, talking about how these each of these inconsistencies are actually leading to dollars lost, right? And so, other than the fact that outside of the visual aspect of it, you're you're now equating things to to money lost and customers not returning because they literally can't get through something because things are just inconsistent. Um, so that presentation was really focused on not even necessarily something from a a pure design perspective, which a lot of people think design system, oh, it's all about the look and feel, and that's not exactly true. It it was focusing on how that bad experience is going to lead to worse things happening for the digital group overall, right? And we ultimately want to make customers happy to, to drive them back into our properties, and we want to create a, a great experience loop for customers, and we want to provide those those experiences that delight and surprise people, and you're just not going to get that if you have the core basic uh, design and, and development miscues that we had.
3: Yeah, so I think consistency was a really big part of that presentation. I'm not sure I was there for the original pitches, but I did get, I did join the team uh, year year and a half into the the life cycle of it, and uh, the 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 pitch had also the other problem that we were we were trying to to solve was the fact of inefficiencies within the system. So uh, all each feature team that was producing these different style buttons were spending time designing these different style buttons, which meant that they weren't focused on the customer's problem; they were focused on redesigning those those re, those pieces that should be reusable um, and help drive your brand and help drive all of those other things the inefficiencies in the system was another big calling for the design system to solve so that was another one of those big problems that we were um, we were trying to address along the way and i think we've we've done a, a really good job of, of solving that
1: One unique story I wanted to bring up in in regards to those inefficiencies was uh, the time trial testing we did. Um, And so like, I know Gerald kind of hinted at it's it's difficult to measure business value. Um, You can do those audits to count the number of inconsistencies, um, but it's a little bit harder to prove like how many dollars you're saving um, when people can't go through a flow. So what we decided to do was, we basically had people build a specific screen with the tools that they were familiar with and using today and then we made a set of kds components grover design system components and we had them build that same screen or a screen of a similar complexity a week later and we kind of measured the time differences between those and kind of did some um, math to like extrapolate how much time savings that would cost over a a day or a year and i thought that was a interesting solution um, to try and tackle like what business value a design system could have. Um, while while happened, like, I have them, like I did wanna bring back up one thing. I, I do remember the infamous 28 button style slide. So if you haven't counted your counted your button <laughs> styles and you're trying to pitch to a design system that that's worthwhile to do. Um, the, the other thing I think that some people overlook is how important it is to have designer developer relationships. So I'll, I'll send this to G- uh, Gerald in a second, but basically what I noticed when I started was that Quick was a tool that developers could access and they could copy code snippets. But the problem was that designers weren't handing off mockups with Quick components in them. And so it's all well and good if you have a button style that you can copy into code but if the designer is not using that style, you're rewriting the CSS, you're changing the component. And so my big like aha moment was to start building sketch symbols. Um, and you can use Figma, you can use any tool, but like using design software to replicate your design system. That way the mock-ups that your designers are handing off to developers do communicate your design system. That I think is, is the biggest efficiency play. It's a, it's a process. It's not just an isolated asset or code repository. Um, So, one thing I did want to just touch on before we moved too far away from the beginning is Gerald, do you remember anything we did, like development wise, that kind of set us up for success and like mitigated technical debt down the line? We tried
4: to make our APIs uh, future proof. We didn't do a great job early on of that, but we tried We're we're getting to the point where they have, they may actually be that way. So there's two years of stumbling and thinking you're having uh, great ideas, but you're implementing some bad patterns. But yeah, we, we tried to think ahead. Uh, and over time, what we found was that, that some of our API decisions were poor and some of them were really good and um, that We also had to struggle with the history of uh, the Quick library being developer first and we're transitioning to a world where things were designer first. And that's still something we have to fight uh, today is to reinforce to developers who want to be able to just, they hear the business requirements. They see it written in a ticket as a list of items and they want to start developing that by just grabbing components and going. Uh, But what we've tried to implement is that designer first mentality. So development begins with design. You'll get a design handed off from your team's designer. And so part of the KDS um, effort and my job as tech lead, I was training development teams on how to work with the KDS. Part of that training was your team needs a designer. If you don't have one, work with the engineering manager to get one. And that designer is going to work in Envision because that's our preferred document or our our preferred tool for consuming our sketch symbols. And they're going to build mocks with symbols from our library that match components in the development library. So that was the key that John mentioned is having a a designer library that, that has one for one almost matches between the development library. And then the developers can have confidence when uh, inspecting the mock-up and envision that they are going to play the right uh, components in the right places with the right props uh, and do it the right way. So that was that was some of the things we tried to do to set people up for success, is that culture change of it, it's the designer's choice. And you need to be really, everyone needs to be on board with the idea that it starts with design uh, that was, that was really what we had to try to do.
0: That's a really great insight, Gerald. So you guys had had this meeting, you got buy-in leadership was, you know, Hey, when can we do this? So, and and you were building your team, what was kind of the next steps or the next milestone for the KDS system?
2: Yeah, I think, um, one of the people that we haven't mentioned yet, uh, Nick Braza. He was our initial product manager before uh, Andy joined joined the team. And I think Nick came with a, a background in building a design system, which was an incredible asset for us, right? And so Nick joined uh, soon after we had started getting the initial, grouped together and the initial team together. And he really helped uh set up a lot of strong goals for us. And actually, I think I remember John, he just like went to a whiteboard and wrote out like the formula for those time tests. And I was like, you are a freaking wizard, man. Like, where did you just come up with that? And I was just like, I would never have been able to just go to a whiteboard and write out a math formula like that. But um Yeah, uh, Nick just did a great job of pulling from his experience of building a design system at his previous company and pulling from that experience and helping us to set tangible goals for delivering. And I mean, I think now that we've seen design systems kind of build out uh, across the industry and across all industries from a digital perspective, uh, it's easy to get started. Like it's easy to identify, like do the audit and identify components. And in a lot of that challenge isn't necessarily on the designing of the components. Yes, you want to make a system. And and John did a great job of really diving into the weeds uh, to define like our color system and, and how interactions behave across all these components. But what I found to be one of the hardest things is communication with teams, especially when you have 70 plus development teams, like we do at Kroger, or at least we did when I was there and then adoption. So how do you communicate effectively with all of these leaders of all these different work streams that all have their own deadlines? And then how do you get them to adopt this new product? And so for me, a lot of like what my job morphed into, it was, Yes, doing design strategy, but I had to rely heavily on John and our other designers that we brought on uh, to just kick butt at their jobs, and and that allowed me and Nick and Andy and Gerald to go out and do a lot of PR work. Right? I mean, we did meetings with people constantly just to basically resell the idea over and over again, and of course, just to throw another awesome wrench into the plans is we were changing the way we were working as a company. We were adopting OKRs, right? And so you're talking about a massive shift from like safe and agile to this new blend of OKRs. So people are already stressed enough as it is from just having to learn a new way of working. But then we had to go out there and and kind of pitch to get part of their, their sprints to get To get on their radar um so it was really setting up okrs about speed of improvement right and that's a lot of the work that john did with the testing with gerald and and others uh and nick and then it was adoption how can we get components out there so the number of components that we have available and then the number of components that we have in use so it's it's setting realistic goals that Thankfully, actually, OKRs helped us establish real goals that were actually attainable. Um, And that was kind of where we went from that initial buy-in to the initial team uh, is we got a leader in product management, a leader in development, and then a leader in design. And we just kind of pushed, but we also really leveraged the individual leadership qualities in everyone else across the team because we were doing something brand new and no one had ever done it before other really than than nick and uh you know we were just all really passionate about it so we were trying to just leverage each other's strengths to to hit those initial goals and and kind of every every sprint we we evaluated where we were at and and what did and didn't work and that helped propel us to make stronger goals for the next Sprint, or the next quarter, uh, and I, I think that really, that really was the key to, to where we are today, to be honest, where John and the team has taken everything today.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned a lot uh, about adoption, and there's two concepts that I kind of want to introduce here, and so, atomic design, I'm sure you guys are all familiar with at this point, um, but it's Brad Frost kind of pioneered a science analogy where atoms are the the smallest, Um, And most simple components, molecules are a little bit more complex and organisms are the most complex. We definitely started with our atoms because you find yourself, once you build those, then you can combine them into more complex things. But the the second concept I wanted to introduce was the difference between like a slow drip and a a big bang. Um, There's not really one size fits all for every company, but what we found at Kroger is no one really wanted to adopt just one component they wanted a system that worked. So unless the the design system could fully build a screen, they weren't really as enticed. And so we ended up investing pretty heavily the first quarter in 24 Atom components and getting those out the door. And once once we had like a meaty thing that people could adopt and kind of latch onto, that's when uh, Mike did an incredible job of PR. Like I definitely couldn't have done what he did, he had so much personal connections. Like what a lot of people don't understand about design systems and organizations in general is it is it is the work. It's like the design, the development, but it's also the people. And so you just got to understand like who's out there, who wants to work with you and and what are you selling? And so I thought that was that was really beneficial. But like like I said, we I think did the more big bang approach as opposed to a slow drip. So we we kind of had a backlog of items collected them and then released them all at once. It's, it's very risky because you could um, not get any adoption after that. We were lucky though that people did want to use what we we had built and um, over time, we got some pretty slow adoption, um, but we, we ended up getting our most adoption during the 11.6 brand launch, which I don't know if I'm uh, cutting to the chase too early, but that that was really huge for our team
0: Kind of want to dig in a little bit. What were those first 24 components? And how did you kind of decide on those? Uh,
3: those were really um, the core building blocks of all of the the um, functions that you need to do on an e-commerce type site. So you, we already mentioned button being a big one. Uh, we talked a lot of, we did a lot of work for um, other controls, check boxes, radio buttons, uh, select drop-down menu type uh, controls. Um, but another one, one of our biggest ambassadors, um, talking about PR, um, one of the w- ways that we got really good adoption and had teams coming to us was we had a giant set of really professionally designed icons. And those icons um, outside of the, the button style are really the face of the Kroger design system. Um, Those things ended up on billboards. Those things uh, just got to be everywhere. They were, um, we had teams from uh, corners of the the organization that we had never heard of reach out to us because they wanted to use the icon set that we had because it, it was a Kroger brand element. It felt like Kroger and it would make their applications feel like Kroger. So it was, it was a great tool uh, for that. Um, so those those first elements were all de- designed around getting an entire screen built, the way John had mentioned. So um, with with the icons and the basic controls, those things were prioritized first, so that we could present here's what a screen would look like in the Kroger Design System style, and people could see that it was um, it became a much easier sell. Um, and as more teams adopted it, they're like, oh, I want my screen to look like that, too, because then it feels more like Kroger. And uh, it became a big snowball type event and ultimately the big bang that, that, that John was, was mentioning.
1: Yeah. yeah, I just want to jump on the mic really quickly to mention a few people. Um, Manfred Westreicher was fully responsible for that whole icon set. He's an incredible UI designer. And I would also love to mention Craig Williamson and Amber McLean were our original UI designers. So me and Mike kind of tackled a lot of the interaction patterns from a UX perspective, but it wouldn't have been possible without those three designers, as well as uh, Zach Giza from a strategic UI perspective. He has a lot of history with Kroger as well, and and kind of defined those styles. So it it takes a village, it really does. Um, But I loved your point about icons. I thought that was that was kind of our first. Um, for a was to replace every single icon on the Kroger banner website um, with kds icons and that's how we really started as when it came time to um, get full on adoption
2: yep yeah and I think uh just to touch back on what john had mentioned too about uh, following atomic design right so atomic design there's a whole book about how you you do it and so you know we were full on into adopting that that methodology for building our design system so we had to start at the atomic level we had to start with all of our atoms we had to design those so the typography and the buttons and the checkboxes the singular atoms and then we moved up into molecules and so those the way we built things just quickly compounded right so it's compounding benefits um rapidly and so the atoms built into the molecules built into the organisms and uh it it was just it was i was very glad that we found atomic design and brad Foss ideology because i think it really helped us move a lot faster than just someone coming to us like hey have you done the table component yet And we're like, well, we're not even anywhere close to that because we have to start at the very, very, very basic, basic spot. But uh, that, that I think, is exactly how we made up that original list of 24 is we looked at how can we follow atomic design, but also within those atoms and molecules, what are the most important components that are, are used the most today? And that's where the audit really helps you. So you can identify and compare between your atoms, molecules, and organisms, and then what your audit of inconsistencies and and just general component use is today.
4: That's a really interesting point about the atoms-first approach. And it ties into something I said earlier about how we made, I think, some mistakes where we thought we were making good patterns. Even though we were trying to cover all our atom atomic bases, uh, so to speak, we we didn't hit the mark and we're finding out two years later, as we're sort of scaling to support more teams and different business units, that uh, we needed to have more granularity to our design system artifacts. And what we found was that some of our components couldn't be broken down into constituent parts uh, where we, we had to ask the question like, could a team build this component with smaller parts? And sometimes we found ourselves saying, oops, They can't we're going to have to to scale properly we're going to have to build that smaller part, so we did we missed the mark a couple times so that's okay like if you're building a design system you're listening to this and. Try your best and two years later you'll find out that there were things you missed and that's okay like that's I just want to let you know that that's okay, I also want to take the time to mention a couple names and titles that I think were thrown out that we've missed. Uh, Doug McEwen was mentioned earlier. You can edit this in. So Doug McEwen is our software architecture consultant and Zach Giza, senior user experience designer.
2: And and just to kind of tag on to, to that and what John was saying earlier, I think a lot of the inspiration for the, the look and feel of those atoms and molecules and organisms came from Craig and Zach and Amber and Manfred doing, how necessarily say prototypes, but they were doing like design exercises on what the future of Kroger could look like from a mobile perspective and a web perspective. And that really helped John and I from a, a UX perspective have like an idea of how this design vision and this design strategy could come to life in our system. So we had really strong creative vision from our UI designers that really helped give the UX side a a leg up. And I, I know we didn't really spend a lot of time talking about that, but I think that's such a crucial thing is to have strong partners across both UX design, UI design and development and product management. It's like, you have to have that, that dream team to, to really excel on all levels and, and allow everyone to succeed. Right.
1: Yeah. One thing I, when I'm thinking about UI design and I'm thinking about how Gerald's mentioning, like listening to this podcast from the perspective of someone learning and implementing their own, I think, um, one thing I really want to mention is sometimes you have to take two steps backwards to take a step forward. And so what's interesting is it's hard to describe in audio, but Kroger had like very square buttons. And when we did the Kroger design system, we went to a more rounded style. And so what was interesting in terms of adoption as like one or two teams would pick up the KDS, we were actually introducing more inconsistencies. And so you have to be okay with that discomfort that there is absolutely no way that an organization of that size is gonna overnight replace everything. And so you find those teams that do have maybe a few sprints um, that are lighter and they are willing to take on UI technical debt and you give them the tools to do that. But slowly and surely, like two years later, we have close to like 95, 99% adoption. And now all of our buttons are rounded. And so, yeah, it, it can feel like very questionable if your goal is to reduce the number of inconsistencies and all of a sudden you're adding to that pile. But yeah, you gotta you gotta work through that pain and uh, get see the end result. Yeah, yeah, there's
4: a similar analogy from the development side uh, where we had to introduce a new component library, which decreased performance. We had to increase our JavaScript bundle size and the number of requests made. Time to first paint because we introduced new code, and that was that was painful. And we had to eat that for a while until uh, we were able to start removing components from the old Quick library one by one as we got complete coverage of of the KDS uh, button. So over time, we saw that realized, which was was nice. But we took that two steps back first.
1: Yeah, and when we talk about quick deprecation, I know Andy, that was one of his passion projects. I wanted to maybe ask, from a project management perspective, how did you make sure we prioritized uh, removing that that old component library? It was really
3: about balance. So we, we still needed to meet the needs of the business. We had to make sure that what we were delivering was helping teams move forward and we weren't spending... All of the time, taking care of the things that were um, that were you know old and busted, and replacing them with the new hotness. But we we really wanted to um, make sure that the that it was done thoughtfully. That we made sure that we um, interviewed the the teams that were actually going to be using the components, or were already using the quick components, to make sure that our new uh, components met the needs that they were using it for. And if there were any features that they wanted that they weren't getting out of the old ones, that was another way we could entice them to switch over and, and adopt that, that and eat that technical debt to go back and replace code that is already working, um, that doesn't necessarily need to be touched. But hey, if you get this nice new feature out of the uh, out of the, the bargain, uh, we get to sunset that old code and take it out of. Um, Out of the bundle size, reduce you know increase performance, reduce all the drag, Um, but they also get something they were wanting uh, along the way. So I think there was there's lots of negotiations. There was lots of priorities that were set based on um, uh, how fast teams could move to replace that existing code.
2: Yeah, one one thing that kind of came into my mind um, when John mentioned, for those of you trying to get started out there. Yes, we, because we were an enterprise, I think we were in a special scenario where we were granted a lot of headcount, right? Because we were a part of an enterprise. But I think it is very easy to also, and I think there's probably a lot of success stories out there. of just having three or four people, one expert from each field uh, to get a design system started. I don't think you have to have 20, 25, 30 people to to accomplish something like this. I think you can have four really good people, uh, almost like a little tiger team that just can really laser focus in and get things done. Um, and, And so don't think that just because you're not at an enterprise or or you don't have access to that many people it doesn't mean that you can't go fast and you can't be smart about the way you work and you can't prove that you can do things at great scale with a a limited number of people
0: right so john and andy you guys mentioned the 11.6 master brand launch so you guys were doing you know you're doing all this design work and this um, component work and this management work you were socializing the system across the organization so what was that master brand launch and what did that do for the system
1: so yeah I can I can speak to that so basically for since I had started at Kroger there was this kind of looming secret that at one point we were going to rebrand um, the enterprise and so we received a date and November uh, six, I think of like 2019, um, was the, the date to like, we launched the whole brand officially leading up to that point. Um, we hadn't had, um, a a ton of, I would say we were like 50 to 60% adoption, but we hadn't had complete adoption. And what we architected was a, a system based on, uh, Salesforce tokens and, And that, without going too deeply in it, it's just a layer of abstraction that allows you to swap values behind the scenes and make sweeping changes across the board. And so once we knew that all of the color values and typography values were going to change, and we knew that we had to hit, hit a really, really tight timeline, what we were able to do is communicate to those teams who also wanted to hit that launch date, that, hey, if you adopt the KDS, we'll swap all the color values for you. We'll do that in one place and it'll be kind of like a big light switch. And I think the that sounds great in theory, but like when you're thinking, okay, how do we make sure we didn't miss anything? The, the huge uh, like success story there is a, is a project we titled Project Pepto, where we actually ended up swapping all of the values in a test environment from the Kroger blue that you'd see on the website to, really hot pink, Um, and we also swapped all of our typefaces from the beautiful Roboto that that Google spent many years developing to uh, Comic Sans and Papyrus. And so what, what this actually allowed us to do is as soon as you went into the test environment, you would see that anything was pink or Comic Sans was already KDS, and anything that was still blue or still Roboto wasn't yet. And so it was a, is a really, really efficient way for us to visual QA and, and go through the whole application and find everywhere that we weren't um, already using KDS and, and switch over to uh, KDS components. And I just wanted to say like huge team effort for sure, but it was incredible that on that 11.6 launch date, we logged in in the morning, we flipped the switch and we looked at the site and everything now was the new logo, the new colors, and the new brand. And it, it was just uh, an incredible success for, story for the, the organization, but as well for the KDS team.
4: I'd like to call out one additional and interesting uh, find from Project Pepto that was an indication of someone who was trying to do the right thing, trying to adopt the KDS. And when we were visual QAing in the pink environment, Uh, I noticed that the Facebook logo, which is very close to Kroger blue, um, was now pink, which means that somebody had used one of our design tokens. uh, It was the Kroger brand blue token to color the Facebook logo because they thought that that's what they needed to do, right, was to replace all color instances with a token, and they picked the closest color token to it. Uh, And so to see the pink Facebook logo was also interesting and, and a good I think, lesson for who, whoever did it um, that, that there's a, a right time and a wrong time to to use design system artifacts.
3: Yes, that I think that that success has really kind of propelled us um, to where we are now. One of the things that that, that tokening system is also going to unlock is uh, our ability to meet accessibility goals. So every company's got a tagline and Kroger's got a tagline that is fresh for everyone, but um, there's so many passionate people at Kroger that really do believe that and live that every day. And one of the ways that we are making sure that Kroger is fresh for everyone is making sure that the websites and the mobile apps that we produce are accessible to everyone, including those that are visually impaired. So with the color tokening system, that kind of brings us to some of our current work where we are Um, restructuring and and expanding that original um, brand master rebrand effort to um, extend for uh, dark mode, high contrast, color mode uh, and things along those lines to make sure that uh, we can meet the needs uh, now and in the future for everyone that might need to take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, you bring up accessibility, which is also one of the early selling points. Um, Every audience that you speak to kind of wants to hear a different thing, but to do component development that is fully accessible, it's it's a long and arduous process. And Andy mentioned, we do have really passionate people, and I'm very thankful that we put in that effort. And so when you go and shop around your components to teams, if your components are fully accessible and they have um, good ARIA labeling, then it actually makes it so that teams understand that they're going to save a ton of time if they went to go build their own custom component, not only would they have to do the UI visuals, but they would have to replicate the accessibility best practices that we've spent so much time implementing. And uh, that that was another selling point um, for our KDS components early on in the
0: process. So yeah, John, I think you bring up a really good point about accessibility because I think that's more and more and more relevant to design nowadays. Um, and I think it, it's, it's becoming more and more important. Um, so Ger- Gerald, I'm, I'm curious, what does that look like from a, a development perspective, incorporating accessibility standards into uh, KDS?
4: Well, it is a lot of hard work and it requires uh, developers on our team to be well-versed in the specifications. So the web content accessibility guidelines and the ARIA spec uh, which is for providing accessibility when uh, native HTML semantics um, don't provide what you need. So we we have a team uh, where, a team culture where um, paying attention to the specs is important. We we follow. We're now following a process of creating something called blueprints, uh, which is a real extreme form of test-driven development. Um, and as part of that, um, we're basically defining the canonical HTML that a component must be built with. So when a component library author, even one on our team goes to build the component in React or Stencil or other, they have clear instructions to follow for baking in the accessibility. Uh, so we we actually go through the spec, we identify the success criterion on uh, for every component that, that we need to meet. Um, we strive to meet level AA, and then we find uh, the techniques that we're using and we call those out so if you're familiar with WCAG they they have a list of uh, success criterion and then there's a non-comprehensive list of approved techniques for fulfilling that uh, success criterion and you can come up with other techniques that is allowed but um, we often will look through that list of techniques pick one that works within our development best practices apply that and we we document that and then we write um, what we call contract tests, uh, where we actually will go over them. We'll, we'll take the rendered markup. It's sort of like when you're developing a React component and you're writing unit tests. Um, oftentimes you'll create snapshot tests or you'll test markup by looking and saying, hey, I expect this to be a div or I expect this to be an actual semantic button tag or something. Right? I expect to see an ARIA label in this spot. Uh, we write those tests so that a um, a component library author can build a component, render their HTML, pass the HTML to our testing uh, function, and it will look over it and say you've fulfilled the contract we expect you to have. Um, so not not only from an accessibility standpoint, but then we use that same HTML contract to apply the CSS because we provide the design. We don't we don't let our consumers try to implement the design uh, and interpret it. We we have a canonical way of doing that as well. So from an accessibility standpoint it's very involved Um, we've got um three members of our team are actually on our accessibility leadership team which is a uh, our sort of internal team that advocates for accessibility across all of our apps and provides um, guidance and direction for the rest of the organization so uh heavy involvement from our team members in that leadership team and um yeah it's uh it's a lot of work it slows down the process but i think it's it's well worth it and in this age where we're um, offering, from an e-commerce standpoint, uh, delivery and ship, this enables people who are homebound uh, or who have trouble shopping in the store to shop easily online and get uh, get
0: products delivered or shipped to their home,
4: which is great. It feels good.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I'm curious, Andy, when did you guys start to kind of prioritize this?
3: I think there was always part of consideration, but it was one of the things that I brought when I joined the team was focus on it because it it was something that I, uh, I believe really strongly in. And um, we incorporated, incorporated that into some of our uh, definitions of done and other reviews that we do. We do basically when we're code complete on a, a new component we do a, a component sign-off uh, meeting. And we made sure that those um, Considerations and going through the component, making sure that it responds appropriately to one or two different screen readers, um, so that we can make sure that 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 experience is a, a pleasant one, even if you are having to do that in uh, non-conventional ways. Um, the the other The other portion of it that I, I want to make sure that we hit on is that one team cannot do all of the accessibility. Um, and it, it's not. Uh, while the program Design System team provides guidance and provides direction, there are still things that we will not know when you are implementing certain components uh, within the code. Of you know what, how do those things should behave, or what you know if there's a an, an image or something like that, we will not know what the contents of those images are, so we can't do all of the accessibility that is required. It still is up to every team that is implementing the things to make sure that uh, every portion of it is is accessible. But what we try to do is call out those guidelines on our documentation site. Uh, We try to identify gotchas, um, so to speak, uh, within each component implementation because everyone is a little bit different and um, what works for one component may not work for the other. So making sure that we have guidance for how to use this component accessibly is also um, something that's everyone's responsibility. And we try to educate as well as um, help support teams that way. So um, by incorporating that into our fundamentals and and part of our um, this is how we work, um, that's how we are spreading that. That good word for accessibility throughout the organization.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And to finalize or to wrap up, if there was one thing, so thinking about people that are looking to develop a system within their own organization um, from both the design, development, product management perspective, uh, what is kind of the one thing that you would leave or part with and piece of advice?
3: Not to be too uh, too crazy, but teamwork makes the dream work. Um, it really is it takes everyone to make that um, make this successful. You need the technical expertise, you need the design expertise, and you need someone to push, make sure the process is followed, and that it is making benefit for the the organization. So we found that this uh, three-legged stool approach of uh product design and uh, developer really helps accelerate and push it forward and make sure we're providing uh, benefit for the entire organization and to all stakeholders within it
4: yeah i would say that from my perspective as tech lead uh it's all about making your perspective known so uh, with regard to the three-legged stool it's important for john and andy to know my perspective as the developer. And it's important for me to hear theirs. Level setting and having common understanding is key. And um, there have been times where uh, we operated for short periods of time, um, or maybe even semi-long periods of time where we didn't have a a common understanding that we thought we did. And we worked those things out over time. And, And we, after two years of working together, have come to really tight, a uh, lockstep understanding of what our product is and what a design system is, what it means to us, what belongs in a component, which components belong in the system and coming up with a, a rubric or a set of maxims that help uh, define that is is good. So I would encourage that. We've done that recently and it's been very
2: helpful. Yeah, I would say uh, from my perspective as as someone that Started uh, it from the ground right is yes hard skills are incredibly important when defining a design system but soft skills will take you sometimes further than your hard skills can take you so don't don't be afraid to talk to people uh, it is the way that we work as a company as a culture and as a society and um, you just got to put yourself out there, be willing to take risks and, uh, just believe in yourself.
1: Yeah. And the the thing that I would close if it kind of builds off of what Mike's saying around the, the people aspect of it, but onboarding is your friend. Um, like I said, I started, there was eight designers on staff and now we have 50 plus. So I have personally sat one-on-one with every single design new hire and introduced them to the Kroger design system on their first week And so if you're talking about adoption, you're talking about a design led organization, you giving them the tools to build something from scratch when they don't know anything about your company, they don't know what to do, they wanna look really good on day one, you hand them a sketch library with things that are fully baked and you give them a lifeline. Um, You talk to them, you say, hey, I'm here for you. If you have any questions about the KDS or about Kroger, that's gonna go a really long way. So onboarding is your friend. Um, If you do have the time in your schedule, Uh, become that go-to person when there are new hires uh, uh, coming on.
0: Excellent. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you all for sharing your insights today. Uh, Once again, you could find Mike Gardner, Gerald Fulham, John Fontaine, Andy Gustafson on LinkedIn. Uh, To our listeners, I would like to thank you for tuning in today and joining us. If you enjoyed today's content, consider subscribing wherever you find your podcasts or simply tell a friend if you think it would be valuable to them. Uh, And finally, this has been the Three-Legged Stool podcast place to learn how great experiences are created through the lens of software development, product management, and user experience design.